Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to shout out any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I am your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. If you want to find us on Twitter or on X, whatever you choose to call it, you can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight on the show from Reading, Pennsylvania is Micah Storms. Micah, how are we doing? I'm here, Jason. I'm here. Uh, I was doing great until about the sixth inning happened today with the Sox game, and then I feel like the morale just went down very fast. So back to talk about another losing series. Um, I'm trying to ask Terry to switch to the, the weekend crew because I keep getting these ridiculously bad series to talk about but uh, haven't gotten the move yet so maybe soon be or maybe the Sox just become a weekday team I don't know but tired of talking about series losses well we can't have you bringing your mojo to the weekends as well we, we gotta have at least some wins in there mixed in so we'll see uh speaking of which also joining us from Myrtle Beach South Carolina by way of Wyndham Maine is Terry Cushman Terry how are you not too shabby, and unfortunately for Micah, the trade deadline has passed. So, um, so anyway, cupcake series uh, next week, uh, Royals. If we screw that one up, then uh, so be it. But we got the Blue Jays first. Quick check of the standings: Red Sox still in sole possession of fourth place. Uh, Yankees look to be just one game behind, but. Bad news for them today. Domingo Herman will miss the remainder of the season to go into, uh, I think, substance abuse treatment for alcohol. So that's the story uh, as of this hour. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if more details come out about that, given his history. But for now, just alcohol uh, treatment. So big blow to their rotation. He had just pitched a no-hitter maybe five or six weeks ago. But uh, yes, so uh, Red Sox in fourth, nine games out of the division. Uh, it was as close as uh, seven games uh, as of uh, a few days ago, but slipped back to nine due to the bad road trip. Two and a half games back from the Toronto Blue Jays, who we do have next. So um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, another disappointing West Coast trip for this team. It always seems to happen. They were on a, you know, had a good momentum going. We're on a good pace. They were catching up in both the division and the wild card. And, you know, this week they head into Seattle. Obviously, the trade deadline took a lot of attention, but you head into Seattle against a team that you're going to be competing with in that wild card. And they stumbled because they should have had this series two games to one, frankly. And they threw it away. So. Uh, missed opportunity, and now they head home to Fenway to face Toronto, another difficult test. So hopefully uh, they won't lament too much on the Seattle series because they gotta they got to get right back on it. But speaking of that series, we're going to get into our bottom five list, unfortunately, as it is this week. So, Terry, who do we got coming in at number five? We have our shortstop, Yu Chang, who just can't hit the baseball. Just not a good hitter. 
Uh, is he a better defender than Kike Hernandez? Yes, absolutely. Um, but weird situation between him and Devers today. They kind of collided uh, going for a ground ball up the gap. And uh, I don't recall ever seeing a collision there uh, between a shortstop and a third base. I'm sure over the history of the game it's happened. Um, but yeah, certainly, you know, some mix-ups at the second base bag we've seen uh, over the years, but not quite like that to both players. Lucky that uh, nobody blew out their ACL on that. <laughs> um you know, so they were no worse for the wear. But Chang was, let's see, uh, two for 10 on the series, uh, hitless in game one, uh, and then uh, drew uh, a hit in the second and third game, struck out three times in those games. And he's just basically an offensive zero unless he runs into a long ball. And he will from time to time, but it's just you look at the Red Sox middle infield and uh, Arroyo's one hit was, uh, you know, impactful, drove in a couple of runs. Um, Reyes one for four hasn't really gotten back to what he was before going on the injured list. So you have to wonder uh, when Trevor Story finally comes back, whenever that will be which one of those guys will be the odd man out and news broke maybe an hour or two ago uh, before we came on to record that story instead of being called up on Friday will play with the Woo Sox in Syracuse so that pushes his um, you know long-awaited return to the Red Sox back until at least Saturday and I don't think any of us will be shocked if, if it gets pushed back beyond that. But he's not exactly killing it in Worcester right now on his rehab assignment. He In 29 at-bats, he has seven hits. Three of those are home runs. So he's kind of still that all-or-nothing guy that he was last year, um, you know, hitting with a 241 average. 371 on base. I'm just trying to get to his um, strikeouts here. Wow, he's rehabbed with two teams. Yeah, he rehabbed with Portland, didn't he? Yeah, so seven strikeouts uh, in those 20. Uh, take that back. 12 strikeouts in those 29 at-bats. So uh, perhaps, you know, he says he's not ready, and, and the data certainly looks like he's not ready. And... For the time being, you're going to have guys like Yu Chang, and you're probably not going to get a lot of production at the bottom of the order. And that's a big part of why you drop a series. Micah, thoughts on Chang? Watching this series against the Mariners, I think I figured out why I just, I've been okay with Yu Chang at shortstop, and it's because he just makes the plays. But the problem is he's a major league shortstop, and should that not be the expectation for them to make plays? We just got so frustrated with Kike not making the plays that now it's Yu Chang is there and he's actually making the plays like a normal shortstop, and we're like, this guy's great, but really he's not great. He's very good defensively, but he's making plays that any shortstop should really be able to make. And 
offensively, he's, as Terry said, he's a zero. And I really feel like he's an automatic out when he comes up to the plate. And when the offense is struggling, as they did for the majority of the West Coast trip, an automatic out is something you really can't afford to have in your offense. When he singled, uh, I think he singled in the fifth inning, uh, they almost didn't score, but they ended up, Yoshida singled in the infield and they scored a run, but they had a chance to really have a big inning. And it's like, anytime Chang gets a hit, it's like, oh, this has to be a big inning because you got to take advantage when he actually does make contact and, and get a hit because he's striking out 33.7% of the time. That's just not going to do it and i know he does have some power but this isn't a guy who's hitting 20 home runs if he was hitting that many you'd be like well he's playing great d and he's he's driving in runs because he's hitting home runs but his home runs are once every 10 15 games that's not good enough and i know story isn't quite ready but story at 60 percent in terms of his bat being ready is better than chang at 100 percent. and if story is 100% healthy, I want Story up here instead of Yu Chang. I'm, I'm done with the Yu Chang experiment. If there's somebody that has to go, when Story comes back, to me it's got to be Chang because he just offers absolutely nothing at the plate. I agree. I, I think when Story comes back, Chang is definitely the odd man out. I think that's the right move. Um, the only other time I saw a play like that, between a, a collision between a third baseman and a shortstop, actually happened with the Yankees with Derek Jeter and A-Rod. And I don't remember if it was a playoff game or something, but I remember it was a nationally televised game. There was a pop-up on the infield. Jeter being the shortstop and being Derek Jeter tried to call for it, and A-Rod wanted to make the catch. He bumped into him. The ball dropped right between the two of them. And Jeter gave him like this infamous just glare, like, you got to be kidding me. Um, that's the only time I've ever seen a play bungled like that between a third baseman and a shortstop. So, yeah, Chang's supposed to be – very good defensively, but I, I also don't think that he has great baseball instincts. I think he has some good natural ability, at least with the glove, but the instincts aren't all the way there. And certainly at the plate, uh, yeah, he's basically an automatic out. And I think he's starting to hear the footsteps, right? He, he looks like a guy who knows that, okay, story's on his way back. You know, I'm hitting 160-something, whatever. Um, Pablo Reyes just came back you know, my time's probably next because he's either waving at, you know, sliders that are 10 feet outside the zone or he's swinging at the first pitch and popping it up, you know, in a spot where the Red Sox need him to take some pitches, generate some offense from the bottom of the lineup. He's just not doing it. So, yeah, he, he's a guy that he's an obvious just candidate for he'll be the one that gets sent away whenever Story's ready to come back. And just a side note on story, if I'm the Red Sox, if I'm Alex Cora, I'd be a little annoyed. What do you mean you're not ready? You've had 30 at-bats. Like that, you know, if you're healthy, that should be plenty. Especially given the situation the team is in. They're fighting for their wild card lives. Like, come on, dude. I mean, if this was Chris Sale, Chris Sale, if it were up to him, would make like one rehab start and go, okay, yeah, I'm good to go. So, you know, call me back up. Let's get going. So I'd be a little annoyed at Tre Trevor Story if I were them. You had something uh, you wanted to add, Micah? Yeah, I'm not trying to compare here, but Aaron Judge missed, what, six weeks, seven weeks? He didn't go on a rehab assignment. They just put him in the lineup because the Yankees needed him. And I, you know, Story had zero spring training. So I'm fine with sending him down. But the idea of 
I need to be a hundred percent or feel like I got it going on. I just don't think the Red Sox can really afford that. You've missed so much time between last year and this year. The team has paid you a lot of money to produce. You've had 30 at bats, figure it out. Like that's where I'm at right now. Like, sorry, but the team needs you. And again, him at 60%, so much better than Chang. So there's no reason for him to, like I said, if he's 100% healthy, that's the thing. He's got to be healthy. I don't want them to rush him back if he's still a little sore after games with the elbow. I don't want that. But they need him. They need the presence of Trevor Story. And I just I don't want it to be another four, five, six, seven games when they really can't afford to drop any extra games based on that two and four road trip. Yeah, one hundred percent. So hopefully it's it's soon. You know, if it's not this weekend, hopefully it's on Monday. But we'll see. Um, so moving from the infield to the outfield, coming in at number four this week is Adam Duvall, um, a guy who I sort of suspected might have been traded this week. I think a lot of people suspected that if the Red Sox were going to be in sell mode, that Adam Duvall would not be on this team um, by this time this week, but. He's still here. They decide not to sell, and he responds by going 0 for 8 in the Seattle Mariners series. Um, did not play in game one, but played in the second and third games. And again, it's just, this is who Adam Duvall is. And look, I, I'm i okay that they didn't trade him. I'm not sitting here going, what, you know, why the hell is this guy still here? Get him off my team. No, like, if you want to go for a playoff push, Adam Duvall, if he figures it out, is extremely valuable to this team. Um, you know, even if you do have sort of four everyday outfielders that you've got to mix and match and, you know, you've got to figure that out. But if he starts hitting for power again and, you know, really has that consistent right-handed power threat in your lineup, that's great. It's just, he hasn't really shown that yet. You know, the batting average has creeped up a little bit, you know, from the beginning of the season when he first came back from the rehab, but it's not all the way there. And the power hasn't been there. The strikeouts are still there. So that's frustrating. And it just hasn't been consistent enough. So, look, if this is a guy who you wanted to hang on to because he's part of this, you know, quote-unquote core that you believe in that's going to get you to the playoffs, then he's got to start getting into postseason mode, you know, or at least push to the postseason mode. Um, Because otherwise, at the end of the year, if the Red Sox miss the playoffs by a couple of games – and Adam Duvall's hitting 235 and the power didn't really come back, then you sit there and go, why didn't you sell on this guy? There were teams that were calling about him. We heard the we heard the reports. There were teams that were interested in Adam Duvall. So you hung on to him. You could have gotten something for him. If he doesn't produce here down the stretch, that's going to be a major second guess. So hopefully it's just, you know, it, it was a bad series for him. Hopefully, you know, getting back to Fenway, you know, with that green monster sitting right there, gets him kind of back into his groove. But it's got to happen soon. Um, Micah, what are your thoughts on, on Adam Duvall? I personally am very happy that they kept Adam Duvall. I think he, like you said, I think he has a lot of value. Um, I don't think they would have gotten a big return if they would have traded for him. I think it would have been another type of Manuel Valdez type player who maybe has some upside, but you're looking at a organization's 20 plus prospect like someone in the 20s to 30s if not lower than that I I don't think there was a lot of 
value and in, in, in the return you would have gotten. So I'd much rather see them keep them. You know, Verdugo went through a really rough stretch, so just having another veteran outfielder, I think, was beneficial to keep. the The matchup this series just did not favor Adam Duvall. the The Mariners have a really good pitching staff. They threw Kirby, Miller, and Gilbert three power right-handed pitchers that just doesn't match up really well with Duvall especially a guy who is high swing and miss those three just really good stuff so I I think if I had to choose I don't think he really should have played against any of those three and he should have been more of a, a pinch hit uh, option off the bench against a lefty or something like that I I, I think he has value I think he played pretty well in the San Francisco series. He had some some big hits, but this series he was 0 for 8, and unfortunately the type of player he is with the, the swing and miss, you're going to have series where he goes 0 for, and you just kind of have to live with it because you have to hope that the series where he it clicks, he can hit a couple doubles or a couple home runs and drive runs in. It just didn't happen this series, but I do think that he does have – a role on this team moving forward that could help them win, win baseball games. Terry. He's not really lived up to the guy that was advertised, you know, and, and the guy that was advertised wasn't even the guy in April. I mean, that guy was off the charts, but somewhere, you know, closer to that guy than the guy we're seeing now is, is what we thought, you know, 30 home runs, 80 to 100 uh, runs batted in. Uh, still with a lot of strikeouts, it's who he is. And, uh, you know, we, we knew that. But month of July, he hit five doubles and four home runs. That's not productive. That's not productive at all. If you go back in that span, he's hitting 202 with a 261 on base, um, 39 strikeouts uh, in that span. So you mentioned trading him. It's hard to do that because other than Ref Snyder, he's your only right field at bat. I think we're in a position where we kind of have to hope for the best if if you want to be competitive. Now, if we were punting and selling, then obviously, yeah, go ahead and move him. The Braves were interested, and I'd love to know what that trade package would have looked like. I'm sure it wasn't overwhelming, but you know, perhaps maybe a top 15 prospect in there. Not sure, um, but Bloom didn't move him. Also, could have moved uh, Verdugo. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't. That made a ton of sense, and. For the listening audience, we went over that in our trade deadline recap. So if you haven't heard that, give it a listen. But just not a not a lot of uh, production. Like I said, I don't really know where you put him. I mean, he's not protecting anybody. Nobody's nobody's pitching to Devers because Adam Duvall is behind him, and you know, God forbid, like he just hasn't brought a lot to the table. He did take a ball off the I think it was just the hand area, not so much the wrist. And you know, he could very well get he's a very injury prone player, so we're probably fortunate that you know that ended up just being a blip and didn't really cost us uh, you know, didn't cost him, 
you know, any any playing time, but very underwhelming to say the least. Yep, absolutely. And the offense was not the only part that was underwhelming in this series. So with that, we're going to move out to the other side of the the diamond here. So Micah, number three on the list, who we got? At number three is Joe Jakes, and it was just a dreadful outing on Monday. He came in in the bottom of the eighth, and Pavetta got one out, and then he gave up a double. So there's one out with a guy on second. He comes in. His first two batters are a hit-by-pitch and a walk, so just not even close, not even competitive. He ends up getting two outs, three hits, a hit-by-pitch, a walk, and three runs, and that's just not good enough. And I was thinking what I was going to say with Jake's and I think Cora probably shouldn't have should have probably used Jake's to come into a clean inning. But the problem is you shouldn't have to worry about a big league reliever. If there's a guy on second base with an out and you bring him in, you shouldn't have to worry about if he's going to be able to find the zone, you know, in the first two or three batters of the inning. Problem is he's just not a big league regular reliever could he come up you know on a double header and be the the 27th guy and a lefty at the pen sure we've seen him have the the outing in toronto where he got the save it was a one two three outing but that's not something you can expect on a regular basis and to me joe jakes is just i guess 4.0 of caleb ort ryan brazier and garza it's just he's just another one of those guys that doesn't doesn't belong on a big league roster every day. And to me, Joe Jakes and what happened on Monday night is a, a direct result of not acquiring any pitching at the deadline. It didn't have to be a, a sexy move like a, a Paul Seawald that you had to go out and get. That wasn't necessary. But could they have gotten David Robertson? Maybe the Marlins gave up two rookie ball players for him. Maybe those rookie ball players turn out to be something because apparently the Mets really liked what they got, but they're rookie ball. They're not in the Marlins top, you know, 20, 30 prospects because they're so far away. Maybe they hit one day, but nobody's going to say, boy, you shouldn't have given up those guys. Nobody knew who they were. And David Robertson, I would much rather see him come into that game with a guy on second base and needing two outs, then Joe Jakes. I the the not acquiring a pitcher, any pitcher at the deadline, to me, just sent a message that you have no confidence in this team and that you're completely content with what happened on Monday night with Joe Jakes going out there. And no Red Sox fan should feel comfortable or confident that Joe Jakes is running out of the bullpen in a one-run game. That game was right there for the taking. It was 2-1, and they just traded their closer in Paul Seawald, so who knows what's going to happen. And the Red Sox actually rallied in the ninth. Of course, you never know what's going to happen because the circumstances were different, but you didn't give your team a chance by bringing Joe Jakes into the game. And I just hate to see that continue continue to happen because we were talking about it with Ort in April and Brazier in April. Then it was Garza in May and June, and now it's Joe Jakes in June and July. And it's just – it's not a formula for success. Terry? 
Joe Jakes is essentially just another Heimblum scrap heap guy on a long list of them that have appeared in the bullpen. There's just not a lot of depth right now. And you've got, not that you would have used Martin or Jansen there, because I think we were down by a run by the point Jakes came in. But there, there's just nobody that you can really turn to to keep you in a game that will give you a chance to come back and win it. You know, it feels like when Jake's comes in, it's, it's about to be a, you know, an automatic loss at that point. It's going to, it's going to get worse. More runs are going to get put up. He's pitched 17 and a third innings so far, uh, it, you know, in his major league career, which has only been uh, with the Red Sox since they called him up. He was 28 years old uh, when he debuted. So that says a lot. You know, he didn't get an opportunity before that because he was pretty mediocre in the minors. And in those 17 and one-third innings pitched, he's given up 12 earned. So not good. Uh, he's not a really a big strikeout guy. He doesn't walk many people, but he he just he gets slapped around, and he's uh, currently posting an ERA of six twenty three. And you know we've gone through the Caleb Orts this season, we've gone through the Justin Garzas, and Joe Jakes fits right in with that crowd, and uh, he can't be optioned back to Worcester soon enough. Just absolutely terrible, and. When Alex Cora has to turn to him, it's really speaks to the lack of depth that we have. Yeah, I agree. He, this guy's not a major league pitcher, not not even close. And I do understand why he's up. It's because Jolie Rodriguez is on the IL again, which is extremely frustrating. Because when Rodriguez has been healthy, he's looked pretty good at least for the most part. But he just can't stay healthy. He's on the IL again, and. This is what frustrates me about what happened at the trade deadline is that if your messaging is, well, we believe in this team and that's why we're not selling. We believe in the team and we think they can make the playoffs. Then why wouldn't you add to a team that you believe in? And you could have just added a reliever from, I don't know, talk to the athletics, talk to the Tigers. They must have somebody in their bullpen that's better than Joe Jakes. And you'd have to send just a, you know, a high A, you know, something prospect, like not not a top prospect at all, just something. You know, at this point, teams like the Athletics and the Tigers are just looking for warm bodies under the age of 25 that they can stash in their system. So why didn't you do something like that? You know, Andrew Chafin moved from Arizona at the deadline. I don't know, you know, I, I didn't dive deep into that trade, but you could have gotten him. He was a hot free agent in the offseason that you missed out on. You could have tried to trade for him. They didn't. They didn't do it. Instead, they're like, nope, we're going to roll with Joe Jakes. Well, this is what you get. This is what you get for your inaction and for thinking that, you know, Joe Jakes is good enough to scrape by. It's not. He's not a big league pitcher. He's barely a minor league pitcher, as you said, Terry. Like, this guy is a journeyman, you know, and that's pretty much, that's being generous, calling him a journeyman. So, um, yeah, just, again, it just shows that your roster is not as deep as you thought it was, at least not pitching-wise. Um, your left-handed options now. I mean, it's just it's Blyer and this kid. I mean, Chris Murphy's your bulk guy, so you can't use him. It's that's just not good enough. So 
again, the, the front office puts the manager in a bad spot because Cora has to use somebody. You can't, you know, you can't just use Chris Martin, Schreiber, and Jansen every night. You've got to go to some other guys. And this is one of them, and he's a disaster. So, um, yeah, that, that one, not, not getting any sort of relief help at the deadline, I think is really going to bite them going forward. I really do. And Joe Jake's a prime example of that. Speaking of that bullpen, we're going to stick with the bullpen uh, for number two on the list. So, Micah, who do we got coming in there? Number two is John Schreiber. And if you want to point to one player in particular of who really kind of cost the Red Sox uh, the win today in the series and a 500 road trip, it's Schreiber. He just did not have it today. Gave up four earned in an inning plus. And Schreiber just isn't in midseason form yet. He missed, I think, was he on the 60-day? I think he did go on the 60-day. So he missed he over two months of, of action. And he's just not there yet. Against Atlanta, he really got bailed out by that wild double play by Arroyo. It was just weird. But he was on the ropes in the first inning. And then the Giants, he had a good outing. And then today, well, it wasn't a good outing, and he's just not the Schreiber that we're used to just yet. I think he can still be that pitcher. I'm not concerned. But today, it just wasn't his day. And we'll get to the decision of pushing him for a second inning later. But after the first inning, I don't see why the decision to move him for the second inning or try to get a second inning out of him. I, I don't understand that. But the first inning, to me, the the concern and the question that I have is, and it's either on Schreiber or it's on the game plan, is the decision to just give in to Cal Rally. That made no sense to me. That guy has killed the Red Sox all season long. He's had five home runs, and he's a lefty. So Schreiber, better against righties. And Rally put a, together a great at bat. I think it was a nine or ten pitch at bat. Fouled pitches off, and he got a fastball down, and he hit a home run. And I just didn't understand that that pitch selection because he went down, down, down for three or four straight pitches, and he just kept going there. And it's like, why not change the eye level and go up, or you know, do something? But Rally's strength is the ball down and that's right where Schreiber threw it obviously up three nothing at that point you don't want to walk him but even if you walk him you have Ty France and Teoscar Hernandez behind him both righties you have to feel good about getting a ground ball from one of those two guys the the decision to give in to rally there just made no sense whether that was Schreiber just missing a spot or saying I'm not walking him or if that's more on Dave Bush and the, the managing of the, the situation there to say we're going to pitch the rally and not be super careful, that didn't make any sense. And I just was really tired of seeing rally round the bases there because we've seen it five times now this year, and I think that's one time too many. So tough outing for Schreiber. Um, I had no problem with him being in the sixth inning there because I'd much rather see him than a bunch of the other arms coming out of that bullpen. But – the second inning, I did not want to see Schreiber coming out of the or coming back out of the dugout. Terry, it wasn't a good outing for him. His command was a little off. The you know the Seattle offense uh, 
namely Eugenio Suarez and uh, Cal Raleigh were being really patient, uh, you know, at the plate and not swinging at junk. And Suarez ripped a double. And then Raleigh, as you said, on the, you know, ninth or tenth pitch, uh, crushed one, uh, you know. And, um, John Schreiber, I mean, he's not a guy I, I particularly worry about. I mean, I, I guess I'll be curious going forward how lefties uh, attack him. But we also have to remember, we haven't really seen him in a huge sample size. You know, some relievers can get hot and put together a good season, uh, such as him in 2022. And unfortunately, he's had some injuries this year. And um, he's got a funky delivery, so I, I don't know if that's going to contribute to that. But the ball is hard to read out of his hand, and the, you know that's partially why he was so successful last year because they couldn't, you know, in terms of pitch recognition, figure out what was coming at them. And um, you know, it's it's been up and down. I mean, he's had some moments uh, before the injury where he just kind of labored through some innings and wasn't overly sharp but like Micah said you're still going to trust him over you know a lot of other guys uh in the bullpen Blyer uh that Lavera kid uh Jakes the, the only guy Bloom has really discovered in you know has pitched well in in 2023 that was you know, pulled off the scrap heap, much like Schreiber was, is Brennan Bernardino. And that was the rare hit, but who knows? But it wasn't a good outing. And once the double happened and then the home run, you kind of felt the tide turning uh, towards the Mariners. And, you know, the momentum just continued to build. And before you knew it, six runs got put up, four of them we're charged to Schreiber, so not a good outing and um, basically cost us the series. We were cruising to a series win and, uh, you know, coming home on a high note, and instead we drop uh, the second straight series uh, in a row. Yeah, uh, rough outing for Schreiber, definitely. Cal Rowley, um, I'll tell you what, it's a good thing, even with the more balanced schedule, that the Red Sox don't see the Mariners that much because Cal Rowley is your new Rowdy Tellez. This guy just kills the Red Sox and just hits bombs off of them. And um, I don't know if it's just that, you know, Dave Bush doesn't know how to pitch to him because uh, Schreiber made that mistake that, you you know, you were talking about, Micah, but Pavetta made the same mistake. Pavetta, you know, threw him a fastball that Rowley just barely missed, you know, fouled it off, but he just barely missed a home run. And then Pavetta comes back the next pitch, throws the exact same thing exact same location and rally crushed it. So I'm starting to think it's more of a Dave Bush thing that he just doesn't know how to approach a guy like Cal rally who just has nasty power. Um, but Schreiber, you know, gave into him and that's what happens. You give into a power hitter like that. He's going to take you deep. Um, obviously, you know, the second inning decision, you know, that's, that's another story, but still Schreiber is a guy that, you know, we were waiting all season for him to come back. Say, okay, let's really stabilize that back end of the bullpen. Now it's going to be Schreiber in the seventh, Martin in the eighth, 
Jansen in the ninth. And if you're starting to doubt John Schreiber and you're starting to think maybe you can't rely on him for that, you know, nail down seventh inning role, then once again, that's another problem. And once again, you can look at the front office and say, you know, if Schreiber is not going to get back to 100% this year and he's not going to get back to form, why didn't you go out and get somebody that could, you know, okay, so Schreiber's been struggling his last couple outings. Let's go to this other guy in the high leverage spot this time around instead of just continuing to throw John Schreiber out there. Um, it's, you know, again, just their inaction might come back to bite them if Schreiber just can't get back to what he was last year. Um, and again, this is a guy who has never pitched this many innings in his career. So, and that's kind of why we have a small sample size because he was just kind of a bounced around a couple of different teams, never really got much of an opportunity. Now, all of a sudden he comes to Boston, you know, obviously last year he, he shown he was great, but now he's being asked to pitch a lot of innings. He's being asked to pitch back-to-back nights at times. I don't know long-term if he's going to be able to do that with that arm slot and with, you know, what he does, he's already had an injury here. Like, I don't know if it's going to hold up. So I'm not like too worried about Schreiber. I would say I'm like small C concerned, but I do think that he'll figure it out. He did just come back. So still kind of getting his feet wet again at the major league level, but I do think that he can figure it out and, and get there eventually. Just one thing that I wanted to add. I, I do think, I mean, the report was that Bloom was looking for a right-handed reliever at the deadline, but once he probably realized the cost of what that would be, he probably said, well, you know, a Schreiber's coming back or he's just about back to impact this team. That's going to be our right-handed addition. And I just think that's super, that's a super miscalculation because they're already relying on two old relievers at the back end who have stabilized the bullpen they've been great when they've had the lead I think they're 38 and three or something like that after the sixth inning when they have the lead or something like something crazy they've been super good but we already have seen that Jansen can't pitch back-to-back days very well and Martin how long can you really use him two or three days in a row you can't so you need other options and even if Schreiber is that option, why not go out and get a fourth option just to take the load off of those three guys? That's something I, I truly can't understand. It didn't have to be a big name, but it just needed to be someone. And we're stuck with the bullpen we have right now until maybe Tanner Houck or Garrett Whitlock come back and, and can contribute in that role. Yeah, and that's why I believe, Terry, it was you who mentioned David Robertson earlier like why not I mean again you know Miami didn't give up much to get him now this is a tough night to be you know championing David Robertson because he kind of blew it there for Miami tonight but uh nonetheless still yeah he's a veteran guy he could have helped supplement Schreiber Martin Jansen and just like you said Micah give them a fourth option instead of just you know continually throwing those guys out there and you know quite frankly exhausting them so um, yeah, another, I, I think, miscalculation on, on Bloom's part, for sure. Uh, so, number one on the list this week, Terry, who's coming in at number one? That would be the manager, Alex Cora, for basically his management of today's game uh, in the finale. 
We've already gone over how bad Schreiber was. I mean, he clearly didn't have it in the um, in the sixth inning, which was the first of the two innings uh, that he came out for. And, you know, like I said, going deep into counts, not having it, getting, you know, a couple of hard hits. And then for whatever reason, Cora decides to bring him out for the uh, seventh inning. And Schreiber is at uh, close to 30 pitches by that point. Why, why mess with it? Why mess with a guy who's coming back from an injury? I think in his case, it was a lat strain. Or the, uh, the other term for it is a tears major muscle uh, strain. But why are you extending him? Uh, you know, it, it just it didn't make much sense. And then he brings out Richard Blyer. And probably Blyer is the worst lefty you have in your bullpen, I would say. Um, you could have gone with Brennan Bernardino unless there's something going on with him. I, I'm not aware of anything, but Bernardino hadn't pitched the two games prior. So the Mariners haven't seen him at all this series. And you've got James Paxton going in game one against the Blue Jays. So there probably isn't any plans for Bernardino there, uh, you know, in terms of an opener type thing. That's not going to happen. So I'm really not sure what the deal is. Uh, Winkowski and Martin were both unavailable. Um, Winkowski only pitched one inning. I know sometimes he'll, he'll come out for two, but... Not sure um, what the deal is there, but not a great series for, for Alex Cora. Um, I, I continue to yearn for the day that we have a new manager that's not going to baby these guys, that's not going to make weird decisions like this. I mean, this was like a John Farrell managed game today. It just, none of it made any sense. And it's frustrating. It's just absolutely frustrating that you have, you know, you extended a guy you shouldn't have extended. And then you had a guy in Blyer who's just predictably bad. You, you, you can debate on who won the, the trade with the Mariners, you know, whether they did for getting Barnes who last I knew hadn't pitched since June 1st. And then, you know, of course we have Blyer, but I think the winners of that trade are the opponents in the other dugout. They're the ones winning the trade because they get to face him and they get to tattoo him. And it sucks. It sucks. And it speaks to the sustainability of the bullpen and uh, the manager not using his best tools that are available. Like a. I really don't like critiquing moves by the manager just because it's easy to critique. But today, there was no explanation for what happened. I was trying to wrap my head around it while it happened. And I kept saying, well, Bernardino, there's got to be something physically wrong with him because he hasn't pitched since Sunday. There's an off day tomorrow. So if you want to use him Friday in some capacity, even though you have Paxton, you could still use him because he's not going to throw tomorrow. And he didn't go to him. 
And you find out after the game that Winkowski and Martin are the only ones available. The only thing I can really think of, and I don't think this was stated in the post-game press conference because he'd be crazy to say it, is that Bernardino probably had the eighth inning. But the problem is you got to get to the eighth inning. And that game, it was right there for the taking. I mean, they, they had it and they had it firmly in their hands. And then Schreiber had the tough seventh inning. But why push Schreiber two innings? He's just coming back from an injury. Did he throw two innings at all in his rehab? I don't know, but I'd be curious to know that. And then you're going to push him after he just gave up. I think he threw 20 plus pitches and gave up two home, uh, two run home run. That made no sense. And then you bring in Blyer, who I actually didn't think he pitched that bad. He kind of got screwed by the ridiculous error between Chang and Devers. Can you believe they gave that a hit? That is embarrassing. That is embarrassing. That was an error. Just pick one of them. But the error kind of screwed Blyer. But even so, first and second, nobody out you're going to need strikeouts in that situation. And Blyer is probably the last guy that I would expect to get a strikeout and then more outs, especially when he has to face Julio Rodriguez. That, to me, is Brennan Bernardino's spot. Game's on the line. Bernardino's sinker is the highly – it's the highest-rated pitch that the Red Sox have in their entire staff in terms of baseball savant. Like, hitters cannot hit that. So if he's got a good sinker and you need a double play ball – why not use Bernardino? That I don't understand. The game was in the, it was was at a crucial part, and you went to reliever number five or six, seven on your roster with an off day tomorrow. That made no sense, and it's costly. You can't afford to keep losing these games. Eventually, we're going to get to the point where we go. There's just not enough time. The schedule is so difficult, and we're, we're in September. But I know we're only in the beginning of August, but eventually we can't keep saying, well, they'll, they'll get it together in a couple weeks. It, it really is go time now. And they, they gave the Mariners that win, handed it to them. And it's disappointing. Two and four on the road trip. Three and three would have sounded so much better going home Facing the Blue Jays without Bo Bichette, now it just doesn't feel the same positive energy that it could have been. Just real quick, I I don't check the strikeout per nine a ton. You don't hear me talking about it a ton on this podcast unless it's like off the charts, like ridiculous. For Blyer in 2023, he's only got a 4.7 strikeout per nine. That's low. That's extremely low, especially for a reliever. So there's just not there's just not a lot of value there. His strikeout to walks are only uh, you know two point eight. So this is a guy who is borderline washed. That's just barely hanging on to his career, and it's hurting our wild card chances each time he comes out. It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it, it's not, Blyer's nothing special. And, you know, with Alex Cora, it's, it's the inability to just think ahead a little bit that's starting to bother me. So we all know the Red Sox have an off day tomorrow, right? So, okay, you know, 
Monday's game, the game one, you know, you take out Pavetta. Why not use Chris Martin there? If Chris Martin can't pitch back-to-back games, why not use him in game one of the series? That way you have him for game three. You give him game two off, you have him for game three. They could have used him tonight instead of Schreiber, but no, you use Joe Jakes instead, and look what happened. Um, you know, tonight's game, the Cutter Crawford game, why not let Cutter Crawford go an extra inning? He was at 81 pitches. That's not terrible. Now, maybe he would have run into trouble the next inning, but who knows? Maybe he goes out there and it's it's a one, two, three inning on nine pitches. And that that also sort of tells me that they don't trust Cutter Crawford to go that deep into a game, which I sort of don't blame them, but it is what it is. Um, so you pull you pull Crawford early, you put Schreiber in. Okay, he gives up the two-run bomb, but you still escape the inning with the lead. Why not give Blyer the seventh and give him a clean inning instead of sending Schreiber back out there who gets into trouble, puts guys on base, and then you're asking Richard Blyer, who doesn't strike people out, who is a ground ball pitcher, and you've got a terrible defense to get out of that jam. That was never going to work. So it just... It, the whole decision making around that just made no sense. And if if what you were saying, Micah, that if Bernardino had the eighth inning, okay, I get that. But you could still put Blyer in for the seventh, give him a clean inning. You know, maybe he gets a couple of ground balls, and you know he gets out of it fine. Because yeah, he doesn't strike people out, but he can get ground balls when he's you know when that sinker is doing what it's supposed to be doing. So there was still a bridge. To the ninth inning, it's just that Alex Cora burned the bridge down when he tried to get two innings out of John Schreiber, who, as we said earlier, was on the 60-day IL earlier this year and is still kind of getting his feet back under him. So, and again, you had an off day today. You couldn't have extended Cutter Crawford one more inning just to see if you could get it out of him. I just, the decision-making did not make any sense. Um, I don't think he knows really how to use what he's got in that bullpen. And I know that a lot of it is he's frustrated with the front office. He's frustrated that they didn't go out and get him another reliever or that he's frustrated that he has to rely on guys like Joe Jakes and Richard Blyer. But look, you're the manager. You know, you don't get to pick the gro- you don't get to buy the groceries, but you still have to make the meal. You've got to figure it out. So it's still Cora still deserves a lot of blame for that because he's not doing it the right way. And it's just it's costing them games. And this is one where, yeah, you can be frustrated with the players. We can all be frustrated with Joe Jakes because he stinks. We can be frustrated with Richard Blyer because he's not that good. And as you said, you know, kind of just barely hanging on to his career at this point. But the frustration, you know, ultimately the blame, a lot of it falls on the manager for just not doing what, doing his best to put his team in a winning situation. That's just the bottom line of it. Uh, Mikey, you had something you wanted to add? Yeah, with with Cora, I think he's done an incredible job at managing the bullpen, believe it or not. I mean, over the month of July, they had the third best bullpen ERA. They were real, and he was using bullpen games. Like he, I feel like he was pushing all the right buttons. Today was the first day where I, in a long time, where I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? And to go back to the Crawford decision, I actually didn't mind the decision to take Cutter Crawford out. I think he had two runners on in the fourth and the fifth. He was at 81 pitches, and I saw someone had posted that his velo was down like a mile and a half, but he had said he had felt great. So there was no issue in terms of him you know, being sore or anything like that to explain the velocity being down, and the velocity being down didn't affect the results on the field. 
And when you know you have Martin and you have Winkowski, who are two of your probably three, if you want to put Schreiber in that, two of your four high leverage relievers unavailable, you have to make a decision. You either extend Crawford for uh, until he gives up a hit or something like that, and then you go and pull him, or you're going to be trusting a reliever in a spot that you really don't have a lot of confidence in. And that's what we ended up seeing. We saw Crawford leave, and then we saw Blyer, a reliever that I don't think any Red Sox fan really has confidence in, in a high leverage situation, and the game got out of hand. And I just, I think seeing Crawford for maybe one more inning, batter by batter, I would have been interested in that. I have no problem with John Schreiber coming into the game with a runner on first or second, not a big deal up three runs. But I do have a problem with Blyer coming into the game with men on first and second and nobody out. There's a big difference there. And just looking at potential scenarios, I'm taking Schreiber with a guy on base to replace Crawford versus the other one that actually happened today every single day of the week. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, look, he, again, there's a lot of not great arms in that bullpen, whether it's because of injury or just lack of depth, right? We all know Joe Lee's on the IL. Um, Hauk, Whitlock, those guys are coming back. It sounds like one of them at least will be in the bullpen based on what we're hearing. We don't know for sure. But that will certainly help stabilize things going forward. But, yeah, just a really weird um, and really obvious miscalculation by Cora in, in this game this week. And it just – it really, really costs the team. And hopefully it doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't have them on a downward trajectory going into the Toronto series because they've got to have their their spirits high. And, they, you know, they got to be ready to go in that series because that's a big one. So – We'll see. Hopefully he can uh, redeem himself this weekend. So with that, we will wrap this up. Speaking of the Blue Jays series, keep an eye out for our series prediction show. That'll be coming out soon. We'll give our takes on that. And then this weekend, we will also have our roundtable episode, some uh, just general talk about the direction of the Red Sox, not just this year, but in the long term as well, um, off the heels of the trade deadline. So keep an eye out for those. Until then, everyone, take care.